Hi everyone, this is Wes Coleman from COPS, Correctional Officers Paranormal Society, here to wish Cat Ward and the Paranormal Heart Podcast a very happy fifth anniversary. I would like to thank Cat for having me on her fifth year anniversary episode, so please stay tuned and enjoy. Welcome to Paranormal Heart, a place where people can talk about their paranormal experiences. With your host, Cat Ward. Welcome back, folks, to Paranormal Heart Podcast 5th Anniversary Episode. I'm so happy you're here. I can't believe five years has gone by already. And I want to take the time to thank all the wonderful guests who have been on the show over the years. I've had some pretty amazing people sharing their stories with us. And to you, yes you, my listeners, if it wasn't for you... I wouldn't still be doing this. So thank you from the bottom of my paranormal heart. See what I did there? (laughs) For spending your precious time and tuning in every show. Thank you. My special guest this episode is founder and paranormal investigator of Correctional Officers Paranormal Society, or COPS, Wes Coleman. I had the great pleasure in meeting Wes a couple years ago while the team and I were investigating at Picton Heights in Picton, Ontario. He's an amazing guy who's been investigating the paranormal for many years. Wes discusses with us how he got into the paranormal and about some of the methods him and his team use to investigate. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have questions, comments, or just want to say hello, drop me an email at paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoy the show, please like, share, subscribe, and please leave a comment. It's one of the many ways to show your support. New episodes are released on the second and last Sunday of each month at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find me on YouTube, Podbean, KPNL Digital Network on Thursday nights, and any place you find fine podcasts. Now, on with the show. Hello, Wes. Welcome to Paranormal Heart. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy you're here. Thank you. Um... So for those of you who don't know who you are, uh, and I'm sure there's not too many people who don't know who you are, uh, because you're pretty, pretty well known in the paranormal community, why don't you give us a little, uh, little history on it, about yourself? Well, I'm, uh, I've been in the field, uh, you know, comparatively speaking, not very long, probably about uh, 14 or 15 years. Not um, long. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's uh, I'm an old man, so it's not very long on the scale of my evolution anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I'm a correctional officer. I have been for uh, close to 30 years, and uh, I started in the paranormal um, 
as an interest as a very young child, I, I read a book um, called uh, "Some Canadian Ghosts," and uh, it's by a by a lovely woman named Sheila Hervey. And uh, she wrote a book about uh, about like different stories from different parts of the country. And uh, the uh, the most interesting story I remember reading was about a young girl who saw the spirit of her grandmother when she woke up in the middle of the night uh, one night when she was I think she was around eight years old, and she recounts the story about uh, how. Uh, how her grandmother, her deceased grandmother, was there at the foot of her bed, uh, talking to her and making her feel comfortable. And uh, I just, it really stuck with me. And that was in, I think it was, I was in grade three or grade four, and I still have the book to this day. And uh, I've always wanted to expand more on it. And uh, you know, once I once I got older. And uh, I, I didn't really have my first paranormal experience until I was a teenager. And uh, it was, uh, as you know, as a young Canadian boy does, he plays road hockey with his friends. And I saw a face in, in a window at my friend's house. And uh, I knew there was nobody home. And I said, uh, I said to my buddy, Will, I said, uh, you know, there's somebody in the window there. And, uh, I said, and he said, really, there shouldn't be anybody home. And of course, you know, like a true paranormal story goes, he looks back and the face is gone. Um, but it did look like this old man. And, and I always tell people it, uh, it always reminded me of the guy off the Canadian tire money. So those who are <laughs> Canadian know that, uh, you know, the face on the Canadian tire money, I think he's called Scotty, but he's an old guy with, you know, the, the Scottish hat and, and the, 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 the beard and mustache. And so that was my first paranormal experience. And, uh, it, it was fairly, it wasn't just a matter of fact. I mean, you know, by my story, it probably doesn't sound like a huge deal, but uh, to me as a kid, it was very, uh, shocking. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I got, uh, um, as the years progressed, I, I kind of never really thought about it anymore, until I had uh, another experience uh, the first year I was married, and I was down at a place called the Alora Mill, which is just north of uh, Guelph, Ontario, and uh, had an experience um, in one of the rooms there overlooking the mill of uh, voices like kids, uh, and this was around one o'clock in the morning, hearing kids running out in the hall, and I would hear like taps turning on and off, and I was with my wife at the time and, uh, she was like, what's, what's going on out in the hall, you know? And, uh, um, we couldn't sleep. And finally I'd had enough. And I phoned down to the, the front of the, uh, the, uh, it was, it's like a bed and breakfast. It was not really a hotel, but there's only a handful of rooms. And I said, yeah, the, there's these kids running around in the hall. And, you know, I was wondering if you could maybe come up and, you know, talk to them or, you know, um, have them quiet down. And, uh, there was like a dead silence, excuse the pun, but a dead silence <laughs> on the other end of the line. And, uh, shortly after I, I heard them come up cause it's a very small hotel. I could hear them coming up the stairs and then it just went quiet. So I phoned down, um, shortly after and I said, you know, thank you. Thank you for, you know, quieting them, making them quiet. And, um, they said, well, 
first of all, this is an adults only, uh, like place. And, uh, there's, uh, there's abs- there was absolutely no kids or anything in the hall. And I said, well, I, you know, I know what I heard. And I said, like, this place wouldn't be haunted by any chance, would it? And then the person said, well, I, I can't really talk about that because <laughs> we don't really want like the negative publicity. And, and I said, okay, I said, no problem. I said, I'll, I'll talk to the manager about it in the morning. And in the morning I, I talked to the manager and the same kind of thing. Um, the manager, uh, like I, we really don't want to make this a public thing. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to mention anything. Um, or didn't want me to mention anything. So I, uh, I didn't, and I kind of kept that to myself, but it kind of drew the interest back in me from when I was a kid. And I'm, and I was really like, okay, I really want to get to the bottom of this. Like, I I really want to find out more, like, what, what is this all about? And, um, so it was about five years after that, I decided to, um, when I was working in corrections, I, I was asking a bunch of, uh, my fellow team members, because at that time I was on the emergency response team at work, which is like a riot team. And, uh, I asked them, I said, like, is there anybody that's interested in the paranormal who wants to get a group together? And I kind of thought at the time, boy, I'm going to really get it for this <laughs> if nobody steps forward, because, uh, it's kind of, a, you know, uh, at the time I kind of thought it's, it's like a nerdy thing, um, to ask a group and they would probably think, get quite a kick out of it. But, there were three members that stepped forward who uh, were very interested, uh, Chris, Terry, and Darren. And, uh, you know, we, we, we got together, decided what we were going to do. Um, but first of all, we wanted to get training. You know, you, you just can't come into the field yeah. and, um, you know, um, just, uh, just go by the seat of your pants. You know, you want to get somebody that kind of helps you out. And, uh, that was a guy, a gentleman by, uh, by the name of Dave Gibb from, uh, Chaps, the Canadian Haunting and Paranormal. He's a great guy. Yeah. And he took us under his wing and showed us the do's and don'ts and, uh, was very practical. He's very practical in the way he thinks and, uh, an amazing guy. And he kind of got us all started. And, uh, from there we, you know, we started investigating, all these different places across the States and, uh, here in Canada, helping people out, uh, with, with the problems, some people that have, uh, issues with, uh, the paranormal in their homes. And, uh, and then probably about four or five years ago, I decided to also work on my own. And, um, so I, I hooked up with a, uh, a gentleman, by the name of Richard Estep, who is a uh, a prolific paranormal author who lives in Denver, Colorado. And I started working on his books um, over the course of a few years. Um, and uh, I, I, I've been in a few of his books centered uh, in England and uh, also the United States. And uh, started, you know, working with him a little bit as well. And, uh, then I started to, uh, do different conventions, go to different conventions and meet other people. And, uh, it's a, it's a learning experience. It's, uh, you know, not something, um, I hate to use the word professional or expert. I don't believe mm-hmm. in that because it's, you know, we're always learning in the field because we still, you know, after all these years, I, I have no idea what the paranormal is. 
Um, I, I started out thinking that I could logically explain it through science, but uh, boy, was I uh, <laughs> was I uh, open for a uh, a change because I I soon started exp- in some of the investigations that we did. I soon started experiencing um, feelings and thoughts and. Um, and I kind of disregarded them at the start thinking, you know, this is, uh, this is crazy for me to, th- to think this way. Names would come into my head and feelings of, you know, hate or love or whatever the situation may be. Um, and I, and I would ignore them, but then found out later that, uh, these things were actually true to, to the area that I was in. Um, but I would deny these feelings just because I, I didn't think they were practical, um, but after, you know, a certain period of time of all these things happening and my feelings and my judgments and, and my thoughts and the names that I was getting, uh, started coming through as being true. I thought, well, maybe I need to, you know, uh, reevaluate the way I do things. And, uh, so I started, uh, I started using more of a spiritual, um, method rather than, you know, a practical method. And the only problem with that is that you open yourself up to scrutiny because, um, a lot of people think, you know, you're, you're just saying these things or you're just, you know, you're reading stuff and, you know, but, but a lot of this stuff that I would know about a place would not be even written down. And, uh, just some very interesting things that, uh, that would happen. And, uh, I would just, I would put it out there and, and give, you know, the story to the people. And if the people believed in it, then great. If they didn't believe in it, that was fine too. I don't, uh, I never got offended by what people thought because I was, I'm in the paranormal for myself and trying to get answers for myself. So it didn't, uh, I, I don't mind sharing stories and I don't mind, uh, you know, letting people, you know, think what they want about it. But, uh, you know, you get to a point where you know what you experience, and uh, that's all that really matters in the end. Now, growing up, did you have abilities or experiences in the paranormal, or did that is that something that developed later on when as you got more into the paranormal? Well, I I think that I did, but I I also think that I dismissed them as well. I mean, I grew up in mm-hmm. a very Christian family. My dad was a uh, a chaplain in the military. And, uh, I, we spoke about this before and, uh, it, uh, it was something I was always very sensitive to places and people. I would always meet people, uh, when I was younger and just by meeting them really, uh, get a feeling of the type of person they were, if they were a good person or a bad person. And, uh, um, it, it was always, a you know, a gift that I still have, even working as a prison officer, I, I, you know, obviously deal with a lot of bad people, but Mm -hmm. I also know if somebody's sincere, they're not sincere. And, uh, I think that's, what's helped me become successful as a prison officer is that ability. And whether you call it paranormal or not, uh, maybe it's just intuition, but, uh, they just, those kind of things, those feelings, those, uh, um, I don't know what you'd call it, but, uh, you, you know, just the impressions people and places gave me always, uh, um, really, uh, 
um, you know, paranormal or not, they, they, they were always strong with me, uh, ever since I was very young. Like a sixth sense. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think I'm special in any way. I, I honestly believe that everybody has that ability. They just have to open themselves up to it. And, uh, I think everybody is, is, is able to, uh, because I'll tell you something when I first started, uh, you know, with my, my group cops, which is correctional officers, paranormal society, I just purely believed in the physical evidence. And, uh, it wasn't until later that, you know, as I said before that, uh, there, there's much more to it than that. Yes. Uh, not just the equipment, but using yourself as well as, as to, to sense what's going on. Exactly. And, uh, we used a lot of equipment at the start and, uh, I still use, a bit of equipment, but I found I was focusing more on the equipment and not on what was going on around me. Mm. And so missing out on things. And, uh, so I've kind of depleted my equipment to some, some of the more, most important pieces of equipment. And I dabble in, in some pieces of equipment and, um, but you know, my main, main pieces of equipment are my recorder and, uh, like that to me is, you know, uh, getting voices, EVPs, mm-hmm. but, uh, for me, it's, it's, you know, it goes far beyond that. Um, I know there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of equipment out there that's, uh, um, very, um, you know, people will refute it and, uh, but, you know, used in the right way, you know, there, there are certain evidence that you will get from it. Um, but you just have to, um, you have to open your mind up to it. And, and I don't believe any piece, any one piece of equipment is definitive as far as getting evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there are, there are pieces of equipment that help a lot more than others. And I think there's a lot of equipment that's, you know, basically just equipment. I don't think it's, it helps in any way, but everybody has their own opinions, right? Yeah. I feel too that certain individuals are more in tune to certain pieces of equipment. Uh, I could use, um, say, a K2 meter, and it and I don't get very many results, but yet someone else could use it, and they have amazing results. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. That's interesting how that happens, and yep. uh, um, you know, like I one of the methods that I like using is it's called the Estes method. Yep. And, uh, that's where I get a lot of my, um, information, um, when I'm at a place, when I do the Estes method and for people who don't know really what that is, it's basically, uh, you have a recorder, um, and you plug it in, um, to, uh, to a, uh, your, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. You're plugging it into a ghost box or a spirit box and uh, you're you're listening to it through a set of uh, earphones, so you can't hear um, what's going on around you because there's a lot of white noise. If anybody's ever listened to a spirit box, you, it, it's mm-hmm. just a noise. Basically, scans through all the channels of uh, FM or AM frequencies. And the uh, the uh, the theory is is that voices will come through the scan through your earphones. Um, so the Estes method, uh, you know, you, you can't hear anything that's going around on around you and you're blindfolded 
and there is a person that asks questions to you and you can't hear the questions, but you spit out whatever you hear from the ghost box or the spirit box. And you try to find out if the questions correlate with the answers from the person that's uh, what we say under the hood or who's listening to the spirit box. And uh, there's been just a, a ton of different results I've had over the years with that. Um, and uh, I mean, at the start, I was getting uh, information from the uh, from the spirit box, but then I started finding out that while I'm under, I'm also getting words in my, into my head as well. It's almost like the spirit box is uh, giving me um, the ability to uh, to get other words from from the other side as well. And at the at the start, I, I would ignore them. Um, because I was thinking, well, what's this got to do with anything? You know, I'm, I'm supposed to be saying words directly from the spirit box. Mm-hmm. But then those words started to actually make sense uh, to some of the questions that were being asked to me. Um, and uh, I mean, one of the uh, one of the, the craziest situations I had with that is I was at a uh, I was at a house um, that's a well noted um, uh, haunted location in the United States. And I won't say it because I, I won't say the name of it right now because, uh, the, the client or the owner of the house told me not to, uh, to, to mention her mm-hmm. name. It's, Fair it's enough, yep. very private, uh, um, situation that happened with me with the ghost box. And basically what happened is, um, I was, you know, getting, I was under, they were asking me questions and the client was in the house, in the room with me. And I kept on getting this feeling, um, that I was being raped and, uh, it was, uh, it was extremely emotional, extremely powerful. Um, and, uh, I, I, I got a person's name. Um, and, uh, so I started saying this stuff, of course I'm blindfolded and, and I can't hear anything and the clients in the room and apparently she's getting very upset. And, uh, and, and then I saw right at the end before I, I took the earphones and everything off because I was so upset. Um, I saw a flash of her face and, uh, so I, you know, I took the earphones off and I looked over at her and the tears were running down her face. And, uh, I was, uh, you know, I was very emotional and I just went over and I hugged her and, uh, you know, I, I, I said to her, I said, like, I, I think I know what happened. And she said, yeah, I know, you know what happened. And, and like, I basically gave her a hug. And so she had been raped in this one room. And, uh, so those were the feelings I was getting. And, uh, I was, I was never really the same that night after that. Like I, it was such a powerful feeling. I've never felt that as, as a man before, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, felt like I was being raped, um, and violated. And it it was a very, very strong, um, I, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how, how strong those feelings were. So that, that was probably the most significant, um, Estes method session I I ever had. Wow. I've never heard of anybody having that much of an intense experience using that method. Yeah, it was, uh, well, I, I consider myself empathic. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, I don't, 
I, I honestly believe everybody has that ability. I don't think I'm special or anything like that. You just have to tune yourself into it. And, uh, it was, you know, it, it was, it was a horrible feeling and I'll never forget it to this day. Like when I'm going over it in my head right now, like it still makes me upset and I start shaking, um, because it was that intense of an experience. Can I ask how long ago that happened? That would have been, well, it was actually the last investigation uh, I did uh, prior to COVID. Mm. Uh, so it was around, I think it was February 2020. Mm -hmm. So still re relatively new, but far enough away. Yeah, it's definitely something I'll never forget. Yeah, It was uh, <clears throat> very intense. And uh, the whole room was intense after that. We were all... Um, I can imagine. Uh, you know, it, it was it was an incredible experience, but a very like sad experience as mm -hmm. well. Are you still in contact with her? Oh yes, yeah. Okay, that's a yeah. I've never heard of such an intense encounter with that method. It seems so. The past few years, more and more investigators are using that method. Yeah, it, it, it's something that uh, I mean. You know, it, it's uh, it's it's kind of a proven method in a lot of ways. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, because you know the person is—it's a double-blind experiment. Mm -hmm. uh, the person can't hear, they can't see, and somebody is asking questions. And uh, you know, if those those questions can be anything, I mean, the only way it can be fake is if somebody set it up beforehand, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the questions and the answers. But uh, if you have integrity in the field and uh, people know, you know, the kind of person you are, then uh, you know um, they they'll believe it. Um, but I always tell people, like as I said before, like I. I just tell people my stories and if they want to believe it, that's fine. And if they don't, they don't have to either, you know, it, it, it's my experience. So. Mm -hmm. Now, as a corrections, uh, correctional officer, have you had paranormal experiences while on the job? Not, not definitive ones. Um, I've, I've seen shadows. Um, the biggest thing is as you get older, when you know, you're, you're learning everything about the paranormal. One of the hardest things to do is, um, try not to dismiss things all the time. You know, mm -hmm. like you can be in a place and you might see a shadow and go, okay, that was, you know, that must be somebody's shadow. Like, I mean, you get to a point where you, you constantly dismiss things because you think if you brought them out in the open, people would think you're crazy. So, um, so sometimes you just automatically dismiss things. And when you're first starting as a paranormal investigator, you really have to train your mind not to dismiss mm -hmm. uh, things that you hear or see, um, get to the bottom of it, like try to, uh, you know, uh, debunk things. Debunking is very important. So you try to figure out answers for, you know, for, for things like, you know, banging noises or, you know, seeing things, uh, in the dark or, you know, getting EVPs and finding out if anybody else has been talking, um, generally through the use of a video camera, you can, you know, see if somebody was talking at the time or, you know, just trying to debunk all the time. But 
Um, yeah, the biggest thing is, is trying to open your mind up to your surroundings and, uh, not be so quick to dismiss things. I find that can be a little difficult to do because most people growing up were always told to, um, dismiss things uh, as a child. If you see things, you know, oh, you dreamt it or, uh, it was something else has always been excuses for what it could actually be when it was actually something else. So you're, when you're told that these things don't actually exist, when you actually start having these encounters as an adult, even, uh, sometimes it's hard to get your mind into that, that, um, mindset to be able to open up your, your mind and your, your, um, uh, like, don't be so close-minded, you know, and sometimes it can be a little difficult for people. Oh, well, absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's the hardest thing to, to prove to, uh, to non-believers is, um, to, to tell them to, you know, keep your mind open because they're so close-minded about mm-hmm. things you know, like, oh, this just doesn't exist or this doesn't happen or, you know, that they're always quick to judge, um, uh, you know, sounds or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. But if you just tell them to, you know, just be more open to everything that's around you, become more in tune with the, you know, the frequencies and the wavelengths of, of, of the place that you're in and the environment and just, uh, leave your mind open and just see what happens, you know? Um, and, and, and yeah, it's, it's really hard to, <laughs> and trust me, I, I mean, I, I've been a, you know, as I said, a correctional officer for almost 30 years. So, you know, knowing and seeing the facts are, are so imperative in my, my field, you know, that, uh, um, for me to talk the way I do about, uh, you know, uh, the, the empathic abilities and opening yourself up in your mind up to stuff, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a total dichotomy to, uh, you know, to, uh, to what I, I stand for as a correctional officer. So like it's, it's learning a whole different, um, you know, spiritual side to you that, uh, that you're not used to doing. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had any, uh, inmates, uh, confide in you about experience they've had in the past or do they even know what you do? Um, I try to keep that information yeah. as I mean, it's, it's difficult because, um, I mean, we've been on the local news and, you know, they, they all have TVs and mm-hmm. a lot of them are very familiar with, uh, with the guys that uh, do it. And, uh, we, we do tend to, you know, be a little more careful with, uh, you know, telling people where we're going to be and that sort of thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I do encourage, uh, you know, if, if somebody were to come up to me and say, I mean, I work at a very, uh, a fairly modern prison and, uh, I won't, I won't say what this, but it, it, it's a very modern place. And so there's not to say that there wouldn't be ghosts. There's, there's spirits and ghosts, you know, at very modern places too, but, uh, there just doesn't seem to be, uh, um, that kind of, you know, act activity at our place for, mm. for what, reason. Um, but that's not to say that, uh, you know, I, I try to shut off. Uh, I mean, the biggest challenge for me is, as a correctional officer and having, you know, that empathic ability is to shut off my emotions when I come into work mm-hmm. and, uh, not let the surroundings affect me in any way. Um, it's, it's always a super, super hard challenge for me. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I do my best, but, but I do go in 
to, you know, certain places and I'll think, uh, you know, and after 30 years you get a feeling, you know, like I'll walk in one day and I'll think something's going to happen today. There's, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's, and I'll get that feeling and sure enough, something does happen. You, you just kind of feel the overall emotion of the place and how people are, you know, reacting to the things that you say. And, uh, yeah, you, I certainly get a feeling when, uh, when I come in and, you know, on, on that kind of a day. Do you have any specific, um, uh, rituals, I guess, for lack of a better term that you do when you go into work and you want to kind of tune a lot of that out? Um, it's more of a frame of mind is, is, uh, like I, I'll just come in and, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes it, it's, it's not easy, um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's very beneficial too, because, uh, you know, when I walk into a situation, um, you know, I want to be alerted in some way that something's going to head, something's going South in here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that does help me and it benefits me with my job. But, uh, there are times when, uh, you know, uh, one of my jobs is, um, basically a counselor for some of the inmates because, uh, I help them. I am in charge of their caseload and I make sure that, you know, they're doing their programs and that they're staying out of trouble. And, but one of the things I, I do is I have to know their file and what they've done. And, uh, so reading those things, um, it can be very difficult because you, you, you do get emotional and, uh, especially, you know, in some violence situations regarding children and women and that sort of thing. And it it can be very difficult. And, uh, you know, I, I catch myself before I start sliding basically because I'll read these files and I'll, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of these type of people where I start reading things. And I mean, there are a lot of people like this, but they, they start play, it starts playing as a movie in their head. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it's, it's very, it's very difficult sometimes to shut that off, um, before you get too far into a file and, uh, you just want to, you know, read the file and not take it in, which is, it, it's, it's challenging, but, uh, for my own sanity, it's just something that I have to do. I definitely admire you and all those who are in the field because um, I think it takes a special kind of person to do this. Well, I appreciate that. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it is a challenging job, um, but everybody has a a job that's challenging to some degree. It's just different and uh, it does have its moments, but uh uh, it's what I signed up for. So, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, we go home to our families, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I, I'd like, you know, I always, you know, tell the, uh, tell the offenders or inmates, you know, like if, you know, you genuinely, genuinely want to change and, and, uh, you know, that, that's something that you really want to do, then, you know, my door is always open. You can always come and talk to me. It doesn't have to be, you know, related to your crime or anything, maybe you just, you know, something's going on and you just need to get your head clear. You can come in and talk, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, I've always had that policy, you know, um, because I, you know, I mean, you have to have some degree of job satisfaction, you know, you you want to be to say that. And, you know, I, I, I get Christmas cards at work from inmates that were on my caseload, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Wow. That's amazing. Um, 
that have yeah thanked me for you know what I've done for them and uh, that to me is my reward you know that mm-hmm. that is uh, uh, you know makes me keep going basically. Years ago in uh, New Brunswick, I worked in this restaurant and there was this um, um, oh, I can't remember what it was called, but um, there was a the restaurant was working with a the halfway house. So when the gentleman came out of out of uh, prison and they'd stay in the halfway house, they'd give them a job for six months to try and help them get back into into society. And if they did well, then after six months they would hire them. So there was this one uh, gentleman that I was working with, big big guy. Uh, this little little tiny nun walks in one one evening, and he comes running out. And I can't remember what her name was, but he went over and gave her a big hug. Apparently, she worked at the penitentiary that he was at, and she was the type of lady that he says she could walk into a room full of murderers, but nobody would dare lay a hand on her because everybody loved her so much because she just protected this or projected this. Um, energy that she wanted to help people and everybody in that penitentiary would protect her with their lives. And he just comes running out, gives her a big hug. She remembered him, wished him well. You know, they spoke for a few, for a little bit and um, yeah, just to me, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and it's contagious really, you know, um, you know, some of them they've made like mistakes mm-hmm. um, and they, you know, they're just looking for a way to uh, you know, to, to try to find a better life. And, uh, you know, there are, there are some that aren't like that at all. You know, yeah. there's some continue to want to be, and I've got a fairly good handle on that. I mean, when you've worked almost 30 years in the prison, you have a pretty <laughs> good handle of the people that, you know, want to change and the people that don't want to change. But, uh, you, I mean, you do your best, uh, all you can do is give them the tools to change. And, uh, if, if they take those tools and mm-hmm. change, it's great. And if not, they'll be back in, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a challenging situation, but it all stems from, you know, that person wanting to change. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Now, when it comes to your investigations, how do you enter? Do you, I'm trying to think of how I could word this. Um, A lot of teams start off with saying prayers or they have crystals or they have something to protect them. Some people don't use anything at all. How do you go into an investigation? Well, I always um, say a prayer beforehand. As I said before, I'm the son of a Mm -hmm. a a chaplain um, and uh, I I'm very strong with my faith. Um, I, you know, have a firm belief in God. And so I always say a, a prayer of protection before I go in. And, uh, also at the end as well. And I also say, you know, like if there are any spirits here that, uh, you know, intend to follow me home or anything like that, uh, you know, I, I make it a point at saying, you know, you're to, you're to remain here. You know, I, I, I don't want anything, you know, coming home with me. And, you know, I've, I mean, I know people that, you know, these spirits or sometimes entities will, will latch on and, uh, will, will come home with some people, but I've never had that. Um, so it's, uh, not to say that, you know, you know, my, I I like to think my prayer works, but, uh, you know, I know there are people that do, um, you know, uh, protection rituals, um, that still get attachments. So, um, you, you just do what you can to, uh, you know, you, you know, really come down to your faith and, and what, what you believe in to help you through, uh, the investigation. 
What's your favorite place to investigate? <clears throat> Excuse me, investigate. Would it be private residences or like old jails or um, what? What's what do you like to investigate yourself? Well, they're all so very different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I get the most gratification out of helping people. I mean, we go to private residences and uh, help people deal with uh, their situations. Um, but that being said, you know, it, it, it's different when I go to like, uh, an old jail or an old asylum or, uh, you know, a house that's, uh, uh, a well-known, you know, haunted house that's now used as, as a place for investigation. Um, but, uh, I think the most rewarding is, is, uh, you know, helping people in the community. I mean, it, there's, you know, a, Everybody thinks that there's, you know, a lot of this stuff going on, but, uh, you know, there, there's a very, very, it's very, very rare that you find someplace that's, you know, uh, has something that's very negative, uh, negative energy in it. Um, a lot of it is psychological, uh, mm-hmm. and we've dealt with people that, uh, or schizophren- uh, have schizophrenia. Um, we have dealt with people that, uh, have, uh, you know, emotional and psychological issues, um, which I believe can create, um, you know, the, the potential for paranormal activity. Um, and, and it's incredible, you know, and my mindset has really changed over the years with regards to that as well, because I, I really think that people have enough energy inside their, their minds that, uh, they can create things that, uh, aren't actually there, but to them, it's very real. So you have to really, um, be careful on your approach with something like that and, uh, try to find out, you know, everything that's going on. You know, we, before we investigate, we always have a, like a questionnaire for people mm-hmm. to fill out and, uh, you know, to tell us a little bit about themselves and, you know, if they're on medication or, you know, basically their life situation. And, uh, it gives us a better idea of what we're walking into, um, when we go to investigate. Have you ever investigated a place where your client is convinced that there's a haunting and you find it's either high EMF from, um, uh, even their circuit circuit breaker or, uh, infrasound or anything like that? Yeah, actually, um, we, we did, uh, Probably about three years ago, we investigated a house um, up uh, a place called Norwood, which is just off of Highway 7. And uh, a, uh, a woman had said that uh, they, they had a, uh, an in-law suite in, in, the, in the basement. And the, uh, the mother of, of the client lived down in the basement. And she kept on seeing the apparition of uh, a man in the corner of a room. And, uh, she, you know, obviously made her feel very uncomfortable. And, uh, so they call us and said, you know, can you come and investigate and figure out what's going on? And, and that's exactly what happened. The, uh, the whole, uh, the electrical panel for the house was mm-hmm. behind a, uh, a wall in that corner, like, uh, you know, with, it had the, had the door on it that you mm-hmm. open up and there was the electrical panel and it was right in that section. And, uh, sure enough, of course, you know, when you take any piece of equipment and you go around an electrical panel, it'll light up like crazy, yeah. like a two or, uh, you know, any, any kind of those kind of devices. So we, 
immediately said, you know, there was another room in the basement and we suggested that she sleep in a different room for a while and see how that went. And she did, and she never had a problem again. And so we assume that it was, you know, the high EMF electromagnetic field uh, mm-hmm. readings that were causing, uh, and they can cause hallucinations. Yep. And uh, that's what uh, that's what she was encountering. It just amazes me how high EMF levels or even infrasound, natural or man-made, can affect the human body. Oh, yeah. It's it's incredible. It really is. It's uh, There's so much more to, you know, when you think of the paranormal, you know, when you, you mention the paranormal to somebody, um, they think it's just one kind of thing. But there's there's so many offshoots to the paranormal. There, there's different different things that can create different things. And, uh, you know, all, all we can really, you know, kind of come to the bottom to is that, you know, something is going on, you know, what paranormal activity is. Well, we really don't know. I mean, yes, you know, it's, it can be spirits, it can be entities. Um, but it, as I said before, it can also be a, a human psychology too. It, it can be somebody manifesting something that's in their head. Um, the power of the mind is huge and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people take, take it for granted and underestimate what the mind can do and it can create a lot, a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there are obvious situations like, uh, high EMF fields at, uh, can cause uh, those hallucinations as well. My father has always been into, uh, uh, he's a, a ham radio operator, and uh, when he used to work for the CN, his job, he was a radio tech, and uh, he uh, would always use, uh, had, had, oh, my apologies, getting tongue-tied here. He, get, he sent me a piece of uh, equipment that I cherish when I go on investigations. It's actually a wire finder. So if you don't know what's behind a wall or what's under a floor, uh, when a client tells you, yes, I'm having lots of activity here, and you know there's no panel or like no um, uh, circuit break or anything around, but you, you can't really ask your your client, can I put a hole in your floor to see what's down there? Um, this piece of equipment tells me if there's live wires under there, and then that's usually tells me, oh, okay, that's probably why you're getting uh, paranormal experiences in this location. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I've I'm I'm not familiar with that, but uh, I you know I we use the the flur too, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is similar in a way it detects the heat. So, I mean, if you, you know, flash the floor on a wall and you see a tremendous amount of heat in a certain area, um, you know, that, that can give you an indication that, uh, you know, there, there, there's something behind that wall that can cause something as well. Yep. Now, when you (laughs) use your floor, have you ever seen any, uh, apparitions on it that, uh, you you know, no one's standing there, but when you look at your floor, it looks like there is. Well, one of the places that uh, um, we um, we we manage a place. It's a paintball facility now. Mm-hmm. It's called Picton Heights. Yep. Um, you were there, right? Yeah, that's where we met. <clears throat> right. Um, so that, uh, as you know, was an old military base slash asylum hospital. Um, when down at one of the hallways there, um, I was flashing the flur and I was with a group. I can't remember who was with me at the time, but, uh, it was definitely with a group from the public. We were doing a public investigation and we were looking through the flur 
And down at the end of the hall, we saw this like little red ball of energy. And uh, as we're looking at it, it's starting to come towards us. Like it was right at the end of the hall, which would have been, I'm going to say about two or 300 feet down the hallway. And it's starting to come towards us and getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it's coming towards us down the hall. And then it seems to be, it seemed to accelerate and I'm, you know, people are like looking at it and it's coming towards us faster and faster. And we're like, you know, what's, what's going to happen here. And we're at the same time looking down the hall with our naked eye as well, which is black because we, we don't have any flashlights on. Mm. And this thing just flies right at us and just like dissipates. And all we can feel is just like a, like a small little wind coming by us. So whether that's a draft, I mean, you, you can, you can say it's a draft. Um, it was, uh, it was in, um, October. So to get something like a heat source draft in, in the middle of October would be kind of unusual because Mm -hmm. I think temperatures were, you know, relatively seasonal that night, you know, probably 12 or 13 degrees, but feel this gentle kind of heat wind go through us was, uh, was an interesting experience that you know initially we saw on the floor, so that was kind of kind of cool. Was that in the first building? Um, it depends. What <laughs> everybody says. I guess, it. yeah. The first building and the second building, but the one that's uh, on the north side or the one to the right when you're facing the buildings. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's the building I was thinking of. Okay. Was so. it on any particular floor? I don't remember if you mentioned that. Yeah, it was on the top floor. Um, you probably remember down where the uh, the sterilization mm-hmm. equipment was, yep. and the, there's like a bathtub in there too. Yep. Um, that uh, you know we've picked up different readings in that area. Seems to be a very strong draw in that area for whatever reason. So I don't know if this whatever this you know this uh, organized. Uh, cloud of energy was maybe it just I don't know if it wanted us there or not but it's certainly uh, a couple of the people decided to go home shortly after that. <laughs> I can imagine wow do you remember if there was any uh, humming or if there's any temperature shifts with it or was it just a little blast of air it was a blast of air um, I I didn't have uh, I use another um, piece of equipment um just trying to think of the name of it now oh there's so many different names to equipment (laughs) um but it uh it registers temperature and also is a uh, like a geophone and Mm. uh, records vibration and that sort of thing as Mm -hmm. well um however i didn't have that with me at the time um and we were so caught up in the moment we didn't really think about anything else going on other than this thing rapidly approaching us so uh, no, I didn't didn't have anything to uh, to measure it at that point, and and it was a public investigation too, which mm-hmm. is different than a formal investigation yeah. because uh, you know we we we're just trying to give the public an idea of what what we do, and when you have you know when we're on investigation, there you know there's three or four of us as opposed to you know ten or fifteen. It's it's a little bit different, right? Because there's uh, there's certain equipment you can't use because uh, people just too many people just interfere with that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, and I find the larger group, when you're doing an investigation, you might not necessarily have any paranormal encounters at all. I, I find it's better if it's smaller groups. At least that's in my my experience. Oh, definitely. Um, it's definitely the smaller, the better. But, you know, it, it's very difficult. I like to try to educate the public because, you know, the TV shows and that, I mean, they're they're just... Their entertainment, and yep. uh, you know there are some that are more credible than others. But uh, um, I, I, I just like to give people an idea of what, like, you know, a proper investigation is like. Um, you know, from from our from the way we do things. I'm not saying that there's any one particular investigate investigation group that's better than others, but uh, um, there are some that are a little bit iffy. And, uh, so, so we just give, give people the chance to try out some of the equipment and experience stuff. And then, uh, it's not like, you know, sometimes you don't experience, you know, you can go to the Heights and not experience anything. Um, mm -hmm. and then there are other nights where there's stuff going on all the time. I mean, the last group we had in there, um, they had to leave early. They left at like one o'clock in the morning because, somebody fell very sick and oh, wow. was being influenced by something which has happened before at the Heights. Mm -hmm. Um, and they decided that it was in their best interest that they leave and, and they did. Um, but, uh, yeah, you have to be, you have to be very careful. Yeah, as much as I enjoy those TV shows, um, at the end of the day, they do have a business. They do want to entertain people and it's not a hundred percent, how we investigate because you know you're watching the shows and I've, I've mentioned this countless times on the show that when you're watching these shows um it might be an hour long but they could be there for like a couple of weeks and you're on, they're only showing you the evidence that they're getting exactly yeah yeah and and it's you know it's like anything and and that's why i always tell people the same thing like i've mentioned you know on on your on your interview is that uh you know, it, it's, you give your side of the story and there will always be people that doubt it and mm -hmm. uh, there will always be people that believe in it too. And, and you just, you leave it up to them and either way, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's what you experienced and, you know, it, it, you know, you're not trying to, like, I'm not trying to be a superstar out of this or anything like that. <laughs> you know, I'm just doing my thing and I'm enjoying it and I'm sharing it with people and, uh, you know, that's. You know, that's what it's all about as far as I go anyway. What piece of advice would you give someone who thinks they're going through something paranormal? Um, well, first of all, you know, just try to figure out where where your life is at, at, at any given moment and try to figure out if if you're creating the problem or the issue yourself. Um, because we found that... Uh, that there's a that that there's a um, a certain um, demographic of people um, that when we investigate personal residences, a lot of a lot of the time, like you know, over the course of say 200 investigations, um, like I, I'm saying, like around 140 or 150 of those um, are single women that are in their 40s. Um, who have had like a, uh, um, some kind of a, um, uh, like a, an abusive relationship in the past or the present, um, and that there's been alcohol involved and some drugs, 
um, there seems to be that demographic there that seemed to have a lot of issues. So you have to determine whether they're creating the issues themselves and if they need help themselves, um, which, which is a possibility. And I'm not saying all cases are like that, but there are a significant amount to the point where it, it actually stands out. Um, that these people are having, you know, like serious issues. Like I'm not talking about, you know, um, just like seeing an apparition or something like that. I'm talking about like, you know, entity that they feel that there are entities that are actually, um, you know, disturbing their life or they're, they're very horrified or, you know, things are going on. Um, but, you know, I, I always tell people that uh, if, at the, you know, we're kind of a last resort um, I always give people advice to say that, you know, if, if you feel there's something in your house, um, be very assertive and tell it, you know, you're not welcome here. Um, don't be fearful because uh, this, this stuff feeds on fear. So <clears throat> you try to be as um, forthcoming as possible and let the spirit know that, you know, you're scaring me, you're scaring my family. I want you out of my house and please leave us alone and be very strong with the way you, you talk to it. And, uh, if that doesn't work, well then, yeah, maybe we, we can come in and, you know, we can look at your situation. Um, but, uh, but you have to be, you know, you have to be very careful with, uh, um, you know, we have to be very careful in our approach and to see, uh, obviously there's, there's a lot of situations too that, uh, involve, uh, people that need help. So we're, we're, we're there as well to, you know, offer, um, places that they can go or people that they can see. Um, and sometimes they don't like to hear that, but, uh, yeah. you know, at, at the end of the day, um, you know, we have to present to them what's real. And this is after our investigation, of course, we just, you know, just don't go in and say that, but, uh, you know, uh, but that, you know, it's, it's, and sometimes we can be in a place and there might be no activity in a night and then come back another night and there's activity. So, um, you have to be very careful and it's not something that you just kind of, you know, do an investigation one night and then, make your determination the next day. I mean, it's something that has to happen over time and, uh, you have to get to know the place and know the surroundings and know the differences from night to night and day to day too. I mean, we do investigations during the day too, which is, you know, one of the biggest fallacies is people think that you have to investigate at night, which is not necessarily true. You can investigate as well during the day. I was one of those in the beginning that I used to think you have to investigate at night, but I uh, quickly changed my mind on that because, you know, sometimes activity happens during the day. So logically, you're not going to go at night to investigate. You're going to go at the time that the the uh, activity is usually happening. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It can, uh, you know, it, it'd be kind of silly to think that only paranormal activity happens at, you know, at what at one point in the day, you know, it, it's, it's happening all the time. And yeah. when I used to investigate with, um, Richard Estep, the author, um, we would go into a place and we would be in lockdown for like four days and spend day and night there and, wow. you know, investigate constantly and sleeping, <laughs> sleeping sometimes was a bit of a challenge, but, uh, <laughs> especially, uh, you know, being an empath, I, I, I find it, 
you know, when you shut down or when you go to sleep, you're, you're most vulnerable and uh, it's, it's challenging at times, especially once you get into day three or day four. (laughs) I can imagine. Well, before we sign off, Wes, would you like to tell listeners where they can find you? Um, yeah, you can find us on Facebook. Um, we're very private, um, with, uh, with, with our information that we share on Facebook. Um, we have some of our public investigations. Um, uh, now when I mean public, I mean, when we're at uh, penitentiary, like old penitentiaries, we we're at Ohio state reformatory, uh, down in the States. Um, a couple of years ago, um, we have stuff on there, um, with that and, uh, other different investigations. I mean, there's been not a lot lately, you know, primarily due to COVID. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you can, you can see us on Facebook, cops, correctional officers, paranormal society, and most of our information's on there. Excellent. And as usual, you listeners, you know, I'm going to be adding the links so it's easier to find. Well, thank you so much, Wes. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we've made it to the end of another episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, take care of each other. And if you'd like to be on the show or have questions and comments, just drop me an email, paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Paranormal Heart would like to extend a special thank you to PurplePlanet.com for supplying the music for the show. The views and opinions expressed on Paranormal Heart are those of the host and participants, 